0: Welcome to your Canadians Connection on Rocket Sports Radio. This premier hockey podcast, featured on AllHabs.net, brings you the latest news, in depth analysis, and expert commentary about the NHL's most storied franchise, the Montreal Canadiens. With your hosts, Joe Whalen and Rick Stevens. Our team of credentialed journalists provides behind the scenes insight on the Canadians, designed to inform, entertain, and engage Habs fans around the globe. We are proud to be the trusted source for all things Habs for more than a decade. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Canadian's Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and entertained. My name is Joseph Whalen, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. This is episode 109 of the Canadian's Connection podcast, and I'm pleased to be joined in studio, as always, uh, by my co-host, the editor-in-chief, the founder, the president of Rocket Sports Media, Mr. Rick Stevens. Rick, how are you doing on this wonderful day?
2: I'm doing great. Uh, it's a great day. Um, it's been a great week. It has um, a little bit of celebrating going on this week, yeah. and, and so it was. <laughs> it was a good week. Um, it was your birthday this week. It was, and yeah. thank you to the the Rocket Sports uh, team who um, who still Kate Kate promised you guys would all sing in yeah. a Zoom call. So I'm still waiting for that. But other than uh, that, it's been a terrific, terrific birthday.
1: I don't know if you want me to be a part of that. And that's why I haven't agreed to this. Uh, I understand that we, I mean, Amy Johnson, I mean, she's a voice actress as well. So she's probably got a lovely singing voice, I I would imagine. I haven't heard it. I expect
2: you all do. I'm sure you all do. Yes. I'm sure
1: everyone does. I don't know if, if you want me to be a part of that, though. I will warn you. Uh, it doesn't sound very pleasant, uh, when I try <laughs> to sing, but, uh,
2: <laughs>
1: and the twins,
2: Rick, Mike and, and his twins, Mike, yeah, yeah. They, they got a picture yeah. of them in their Habs gear this, uh, this week. They look great. Yeah.
1: yeah, Every, uh, yeah. A great looking family. And I'm sure that they would love to be a part of that. Uh, that singing that Zoom for sure. Singing. I yeah. think that they would, they would probably carry that. They'd be the MVPs. <laughs> I would, for I sure. would imagine. Yeah. So, uh, but Rick, nevertheless, uh, I hope that you had a, a wonderful birthday Thank and, you. uh, and that was uh, yeah was earlier this week. So, um, Rick, we have quite a lot to get to here today on this show. Um, obviously, we do not have uh, Halloween candy to discuss like last week. <laughs> but we do have uh, a good few uh, things, a good few stories to get to in the first segment. We're going to be getting to that in a minute. But, Rick, in the second segment, uh, we're going to be doing something that we did last year, things that we... Uh, This is something that we have done multiple times, revisited multiple times uh, since last year. And that would be the dozen or so most pressing questions about the Montreal Canadiens. And we will be getting to that in segment two. Obviously, this is a bit of an early look. When we did this last year, it was training camp. Now Mm -hmm. we don't even really know when training camp is going to be and what it's going to look like. So there's going to be a lot of questions just about what this season is going to look like and we will try to answer that or give what we think might happen. Of course, nobody really knows. It's all conjecture at this point but uh, beyond that, of course we do have a lot of things that we're wondering about the Montreal Canadiens. It's been a busy offseason. There's a lot of uh, new elements to this team that weren't there last year. There's obviously a lot of hype following the playoff performance that we saw in the bubble in Toronto so there is a lot to talk about with respect to what this season might look like for the Montreal Canadiens and we're going to take our first look at that in segment two uh, very much looking forward to doing that and having that, uh, those discussions um, but Rick we should say just off the top of this show because uh, usually of course um, and we mentioned this in the past number of weeks the Montreal Canadiens been in the process of loaning out players, teams overseas, in Europe. Uh, they do have just some young players that have just been there anyways, uh, and that's where they are playing their hockey right now. And one of those guys, Matthias Norlander, uh, and I saw on Twitter earlier this morning, uh, Matthias Norlander was playing in a game. Uh, unfortunately, he had to leave with an apparent shoulder injury. Mm. It didn't seem a very dangerous play or did not look like a whole lot happened. But as we know, Sometimes those are the most debilitating where you don't see yeah. anything clear. And it was just a battle on the boards that he turned out of that battle along the boards and immediately grabbed for his shoulder. Uh, he left the game and there's there was no indication from what I saw that he returned to that game. And of course, we don't know anything as of yet, but um, just to pass that along, it did look a little bit troubling if you're if you're Matthias Norlander and of course as we, we were talking before the show uh he's had a great year great start to his year he,
2: he has um, and now part of the Cardiola tournament um played on um on my birthday actually he, oh, he yeah. played against Jan Misa and Jan Misa came through for me he he got an assist yeah. uh thanks Jan <laughs> um but uh yeah no as you said uh Norlander having a really good start to the season a lot of eyes turned his way and uh We'll keep you updated on, on the extent of, of his injury. Hopefully, um, he's going to be okay.
1: Yeah, of course, we're going to be uh, keeping our eyes on that. As we have said over the past number of weeks, the Canadians have been loaning out talent overseas, uh, one of which, uh, Josh Brooke, that happened uh, yesterday. The Canadians loaned him uh, to Krefeld in the German Hockey League. Did I get that pronunciation right? And, is that, and what's is that,
2: the team
0: name?
1: Um, Pinguin. Okay. That wasn't as bad as I thought it was. We'll try that, that was, again. That was Trifet better. Yeah.
2: Pinguin. Yeah. Okay. I thought I'd just it, help you I, out there.
1: Before the show, I said pinguini, which uh, that did not. <laughs> that's a, a type of pasta that I think. No, it's not. Linguini. But, uh, anyways. Uh, so. Pingween. There we go. One more time, so we know exactly what it is, Rick. So the Canadians loading out another young player to get in some game action, and this seems to be a, a, a prudent thing to do uh, for Josh Brook.
2: Josh Brook, um, a little forgotten, wouldn't you say? Um, yeah, just a bit. And uh, uh, Flurry passing him maybe on the depth chart, and and uh, Josh Brook has had a slow start to his pro career, but making making good progress. Um, he he's just uh, he struggled initially to uh, in the decision making and his gap setting and and all of that. and and you know who helped him with that? Who helped him a lot was Carl alsner. and yeah. um, and uh, he's very grateful when you talk to Josh. He's very grateful for Carl Alsner's help. And so uh, I think this is a good move going over, getting some skating in. and Josh, um, like the others who are over there, will be available uh, for the Canadians training camp.
1: Yeah, and that's been the, the condition in all of this, all of these loans that we've been seeing is that they'll be back for training camp. And it's a very interesting thing that you say about Carl Osner. And, it, you know, we, we talked about Carl Osner a couple of weeks back when he got bought out. And, we always you know, we'd like to see him get an opportunity to play in the NHL once again. But we might see a huge impact. And we already have heard about it from Kale Fleury, from Josh Brook now. About having that guy in that right in in Laval for those young players, that was a huge thing for them in terms of having that guy, that's a an NHL caliber defenseman right down there with them to teach them the show them the ropes in some ways. So, um, but yeah, anyways, uh, Josh Brook headed to Krefeld and uh, getting nice some game did. action. There we go. I'm. It got better as as time went on. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Rick. From a young defenseman that the Canadians drafted just a short time ago, uh, we moved to a defenseman that they drafted 14 years ago mm-hmm. uh, in in David Fisher, who David was Fischer. in the headlines this week. Is not a name that we often talk about, only really to say that the Canadians picked David Fisher over a guy that has become a superstar of the NHL and, and Claude Giroux. Um, but we heard about David Fisher this week, and it was a really um, – it was an interesting article, and uh, Rick, obviously there's, there's some frustration when you talk about David Fisher amongst Tabs fans, given, as I said, they selected him over Claude Giroux, but this really gave a deep dive into the life of David Fisher, some of the things that were happening that were behind the scenes we weren't exactly privy to at the time. Um, and, and yeah, it was it was a really interesting story.
2: David Fisher is... He's a bad word when when it uh, when you <laughs> when you, you're in conversation with Habs fans and and listen that's that's kind of unfair. Uh, he it didn't work out. It just didn't work out. Yeah. Um, he had some um, some family issues uh, at the time. His mother was very ill, and uh, things just went sideways for him and never did get on track. Um, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate. He was. Um, very promising a, a a big mobile defenseman at that time yeah um, uh, maybe uh not uh not something that was found easily and a uh, really good skater he was good offensively good on the power play but but a really raw talent and yeah. and the canadians knew he was a raw talent um then as i said family tragedy and uh, as as he says himself um, you know, he, the, the, the organization was terrific with him and, uh, understood his situation and backed off a bit. And, and he said, um, you know, he didn't take that very well. He didn't, he didn't handle the whole situation well. Um, and, uh, without that pressure on him, without that, that pressure, he, he you know, he wasn't using the, the, the illness as a, as an excuse, but, He didn't work as hard as he should have and, um, and, and things didn't work out. Um, so I, you know, and it's been something that's really difficult for him to speak about. Uh, and he's been sitting with this request for six, eight months from, uh, TBI to, uh, to, and, and, and over all these years to, to speak about it. Uh, but listen, he, he sounds like a, uh, a kid who has his well, not a kid anymore. Uh, Thirty-two years old. Um, he has his head on his shoulders now, um, and uh, and he's had for him a successful hockey career. And and where yeah. did where did he end up?
0: Krefeld Penguin. Yes, there we he go.
2: played for Krefeld. Kraft, uh, that connection. We love we love connections. Yeah, we love connections. <laughs> And so he, in common with Josh Brook, he played for the Krefeld Penguin um, uh, a number of years ago. And he's had a, a successful career um, across the pond and and uh, has had a, you know, a, a whole different set of experiences uh, than he would uh, coming out of, out of uh, the University of Minnesota. You know, he was... Uh, uh, named Mr. Hockey, uh, coming out of Apple Valley High School, and and uh, and things didn't work out on on this side. Played a bit in in the AHL, ECHL, but went across to um, uh, Germany and and um, and then Austria, and and uh, has had his his own successful career, his own uh, uh, triumphs uh, with respect to seeing the world, with respect to. Uh, meeting the love of his life, and, and things have uh, turned out uh, for him.
1: Yeah, and that's that's what you want to see. I mean, obviously, you know, for, for a portion of fans, and, and a lot of fans, I should say, I mean, there's there's going to always be that frustration that you passed on Claude Giroux, and Claude Giroux inevitably became what he became, and, mm-hmm. and what that might have meant for your chances in 2010, for your chances 20, between 2010 and 2014, in that window where things were really starting to look like they were moving in the right direction. Obviously, they had a down year in, in 2011, 2012. But beyond that, I mean, you add Claude Giroux to what was there at that time. And of course, the frustration will always be, why did they pick David Fisher? And for me, that, that had existed for some time. And this is really the first that I looked into the life of David Fisher. And you talked about uh, his mom's battle uh, with breast cancer and he didn't use that as, as no. you know, an excuse. He took responsibility that and, and he said he characterized it as you know, the, the greatest failure of his life. Uh, but he didn't let that define him. He moved on, he found um, success in other ways. And, and listen, even for guys that went on to have professional careers successful, professional careers as an athlete, there's been times where you've seen great players slip up and those moments define their careers. You think I think the ultimate one, at least for me, is Bill Buckner in in 1986. The Red Sox hadn't won a World Series since 1918. Has an error in Game 6 of the World Series. Of course, it's the infamous behind the bag uh, between his (laughs) legs. uh, And he's remembered for that more, despite the fact that he was a batting champion and a great overall player, a great hitter. For many many years throughout the 70s and 80s, he's remembered for that for unfortunately, that moment. Yeah. Unfortunately, and we look at athletes and we think about them. We often hear about asset management, and 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 sometimes look at these guys as commodities. But they're at the end of the day, they're human beings. And unfortunately for David Fisher, he was drafted uh, 20th overall, and he just didn't live up to that. And and you know that's not an easy thing to do.
2: Here's a perfect example of uh, drafting for need. At the time, um, you know the, the the Canadians organization spoke about the need for a defenseman and and uh, and drafted for need um, rather than and and even at that, it as I said, it this was uh, David Fisher was always considered a project, always rather raw. Yeah. It was going to take years, so. But they they looked at need rather than best player available, and um, that's uh, that's come back to bite them a, a few times. But David Fisher was kind of um, the Ryan McDonough before Ryan McDonough. Yeah, um, he was a, a similar kind of of players, uh, and uh, that's what they were. That's what the Canadians were were hoping to get. Um, and you know, he had this this difficulty, and then. Drafted under Bob Ganey, and then when Pierre um, Gauthier came in, um, we remembered uh, Pierre Gauthier didn't like Ryan McDonough either, uh, yeah. and and advocated for that uh, trade. Uh, but he 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 you know he washed his hands of he he wasn't uh, uh, Gauthier's pick, uh, and I'm speaking of, of Fisher here uh, that he he uh, you know they just released him and, and let him go his way. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, th- things like this shouldn't define uh, a, a player's career. You can you can have a successful career and not make it to the NHL. You can um, have a successful broadcasting career and not make it to Hockey Night in Canada. You can have yeah. success in your life without being defined by your uh, by your career. And sometimes, as you said, the single moments that fans seem to yeah. embed in their mind. Uh, you mentioned Bill Buckner. I think of uh, Steve Smith back in yeah in '86 and his own goal. And Oilers fans will—that's that's who he is now. And it's it's yeah. really, really, really unfortunate.
1: It is, it is. But it's it's that's the those are sports fans. They have the the memories that listen. They'll those short moments will overcloud will cloud over all the other moments of greatness. Unfortunately, in some instances, and uh, it's hard to overcome that. Unfortunately, there've been. Uh, before uh, Bill Buckner passed away, unfortunately, last year. He was able to reconcile with Red Sox fans after they won the World Series in 2004. And there's other instances of that in in, in sports. But, yeah, you're right. It's the unfortunate part of sports fandom is that sometimes you hold a grudge against a person you don't even know. You don't know their life story. You don't know what they're going through. So uh, it was, uh, nevertheless, it was great to read about David Fisher. He's not somebody that uh, over the last, you know, 10 odd years that you've thought about into great detail with other than to say that the Canadians drafted him over Klojeru. So uh, good to read about the life of of David Fisher. Uh, Rick, moving from a Canadians first round pick back in uh, 2006 to one that they just drafted in 2020, uh, Caden Gooley. And of course we talked about last week, Caden Gooley being invited to the uh, selection camp roster for Team Canada at the upcoming World Junior Hockey Championships. Uh, When that gets underway, um, the World Juniors, Andre Torgny will be behind the bench uh, for Team Canada. Of course, he was an assistant coach last year, uh, and he talked about Caden Gooley uh, this week, and he uh, heaped a lot of praise on Caden Gooley, actually. Uh, Some really nice comparisons.
2: He did, um, and according to Andre Taurigny, Tr- and and um, uh, he's one of those. He's a tough coach, uh, but he's a very good uh, uh, young uh, coach from Quebec, um, yeah. born in Trois Rivieres, um, and has had a long association with uh, with the Q, uh, and then more recently with the Ottawa Sixty Sevens and and Team Canada, and and you know. I think of of good young uh, coaches like himself, like Benoit Groul, uh with the yep. uh, Syracuse Crunch or um, Pascal Vincent with uh, the Manitoba Moose and and yeah. the same kind of thing and and um, so you know I you look to to uh, coaches like this and and their views of of some of the uh, Canadians prospects. And he spoke of Caden Gooley as a mix between Colton Pareko and Vlasic, uh, Mark Andre Vlasic and, and, um, uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, sorry. Um, uh, that kind of mix, the kind of guy who's, who's, uh, who coaches rely on, who teammates rely on, but that, but that may not jump off the page, uh, when it comes to fans, uh, He's not going to be, you know, uh, necessarily the uh, on all the high, light reels for his his goals. Although he skates well and, and can move the puck, uh, but he just puts in tough minutes and plays against all the the best players and can be physical. Um, and and that's important to coaches. That's important to teammates. And and spoke about Kaden uh, Gooley as that kind of player.
1: And really, that's a coach's dream: is that dependable. Guy that you can throw out there on the ice, that steady Eddie that you just know is going to make the right, reliable play more often than not. Of course, uh, we know that there are there are shortcomings in his game that he's going to have to round out. But that's a lot of praise. And those two guys, if Caden Gooley becomes something resembling either of those two, Montreal Canadiens fans are going to be very happy with that. And uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, I think, uh, and, and the way that he is, you know, that's that's what he has been for so long. And perhaps a little bit underrated, even though uh, he has a quite a hefty contract. But <laughs> even still, he's been somebody. I mean, back in 2016 at the at the World Cup of Hockey for for, the, for Team Canada, he was relied upon. And you didn't look at him in that way. You didn't really think he doesn't jump off the page. He's not flashy, but when he's on the ice, very little happens for the opposing team. Mm-hmm. And if the Montreal Canadiens get somebody like that of that nature, and you add that to your group, that's that's a huge thing. And uh, A lot of praise from Andre Torgny and and perhaps uh, shines well on his, on on Caden Gooley's chances uh, to maybe make team Canada. Um, Of course, we talked about it last week. It's a very deep field. We don't know, but uh, that's, that's a lot to say right there. um, Well, for Caden
2: Gooley. And, and uh, picking up on that, uh, 47 uh, players were invited to uh, the team Canada camp that's in Red Deer uh, that will prepared down for that uh, world junior squad uh, that will compete in Edmonton uh, in the, in the uh, world junior bubble. Um, but in this, w- with, with Andre Trigny being asked about Caden Gooley, uh, he was also asked, and, and this ties into something we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, uh, because uh, journalists uh, in Quebec have been making a big deal of the fact that of those 47 players, only nine come from the queue. And um, and he was he it was interesting because if you watch the interview, it it was almost um, it was almost the the journalists were thinking they were throwing a softball like, uh, aren't you upset that there's only nine players and and expecting him to say, yes, I'm really upset. And he said exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. Uh, Andre Trigny said, um, uh, do you really think where the player comes from is more important to me than building the best team to meet expectations and win the gold medal. At the end of the day, we want to win. If we take two Quebecers this year, people will complain. In three years, in five years, in 10 years, if we win the gold medal, people will say it's fabulous. If we take 12 Quebecers and we don't even make it to the medal round, don't worry. No one will remember the number of Quebecers we'll choose. They'll remember we didn't do the job. Quebecois yeah. or not, we want to win. At the end of the day, we want the best players. And my goodness, um, if that's what the coaches are saying, if that's what our listenership is saying, is that if that's what the majority of, of Canadians fans are saying, this is a bit of a lesson to the legacy media, I think, to, to, to lay off this subject.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's what you want to hear. Uh, that's exactly what you want to hear because when you're making a team Canada, and obviously we talk about this, you know, almost jokingly, but when you look at the deep field that Canadians, that the Canadians have to choose from, you could ice two teams most years that would be competitive. So it's not about where they come from. It's about taking the best players. And that is, that doesn't seem like a, like a very, you know, um, that doesn't seem like something that needs to be said when you're talking about sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you take the best players and you try to win. Um, but here we are. Um, and uh, Andre Torgny, yeah, having a, a very uh, big statement there um, with that. So, Rick, uh, keeping with young players um, and a guy that we've been talking about for the draft, after the draft, Corey Pronman of The Athletic. Uh, he did a ranking of the top 155 prospects, these are players under the age of 23 um, that that are currently in the NHL, currently you know uh, drafted by NHL teams. Uh, and the Montreal Canadiens uh, walked away with six players in Corey Prominence top 155, uh, headlined by Nick Suzuki uh, at 27. You had Yasperi Kotkaniemi at 33. You had Alexander Romanov at 48. Cole Caulfield right behind him at 49. Then you had Victor Mete at 143 and Ryan Paling at 150 uh 154. Uh so yeah, I think not a very su- I think the first four aren't very surprising even Ryan Paling. Uh the one that surprised me, we were talking about this just before the show, Victor Mete at 143 is not forgotten uh, by Corey Prime but uh, you know, we all we always talk about how Victor Mete was sort of rushed in by necessity, um, and but there's still a lot of growth to be had there. He's still 22 years old; still a lot of time left for him.
2: Yeah, this is and and just to put it all in context, uh, two episodes ago, episode 107, uh, we talked about uh, Corey Pronman uh, putting together uh, and ranking the organizations, uh, yeah, looking at the prospects in each organization and then ranking the, the organizations according to their prospect pool. Uh, and the, at that time, um, and you can go, go back to episode 107. Uh, you can either find that at uh, Rocketsportsradio.com. Uh, you can uh, get our, our um, uh, complete archive of ec- episodes. You can go to allhabs.net. Uh, it's there as well. Um, but go back and listen to 107 if you missed it. And, um, and it talks about how, the criteria and, and where the Canadians ended up. And they dropped out of the top 10 to, uh, in, in uh, Pronman's estimation, to 11th place in terms of of uh, the overall prospect pool. Now he's, he's uh, taken that information and ranked the top 155 individual players uh, and as you said, uh, the Canadians uh, a good showing uh, with six players in the top one one fifty five. Um, I think the only thing, and and the reason uh, the Canadians are eleventh according to Bronman, um, are uh, the fact that there's there's uh, uh, well uh, Nick Suzuki at, at twenty seven is is the highest ranking prospect. Um, yeah. And and you don't have anybody in that that top group, and, and that's, um, that, that hurts the Canadians uh, um, as far as, as, as their prospect pool. Uh, and you look at other organizations, um, you know, top 15, you have the Rangers have two in the top 15 in Lafreniere and, and Capocacco. Ottawa has two in the top 15 um, in Stutzla and, and, uh, and Kachuk. Um, and it's it's that top 15 who are, are labeled uh, special or, or special elite. And, and the Canadians don't have anybody in, in that, uh, yeah, in that range. Um, but good, solid uh, companion pieces uh, in their prospect pool. Uh, that, uh, that will fill in, in the lineup. So that's, uh, you know, the, the development of, of a Romanov, the development of a Caulfield, uh, an addition, maybe next year. Um, we'll see what happens with Suzuki and Kotkaniemi. We'll be talking about those later, but as you said, don't forget, Victor Meta's still in the mix.
1: Yeah. Uh, That was the interesting one for me. And I've been an advocate of Victor Mete and saying that, you know, he's been a victim of circumstance in some ways. Things haven't always been great for him. And you've had the fan base at odds with Victor Mete, but he is still 22 years old. There's a lot of there's a lot of room left there. And the one thing about this is um, there could be a guy that's that's ranked here that could make a jump significantly up in in the rankings uh, and, and be looked at. As being a sort of a top fifteen, perhaps it's something that it could very well happen. Um, but uh, the way that it's looking, uh, those guys that are in that top fifteen, and it's just going to get more difficult with each passing year. You get more talent, more rookies, more high-end, uh, more high-regarded pieces that are entering the NHL. But it, it still could happen um, potentially for Nick Suzuki at twenty-seven. He could make it. He could make a leap. Uh, but anyways, uh, Rick. Uh, this week, we do not have a they Said What segment. Uh, we are going to bring that back next week. But on the mm-hmm. upcoming episode of The Press Zone, there will be a, a press availability that you and Amy Johnson are going to be discussing.
2: For sure. Yeah, we want to save all the time we can for our second segment because uh, yeah. it's going to take us a bit to go through these issues. So um, look for The Press Zone. The Press Zone uh, uh, drops every Tuesday. Uh, press zone looking at uh, prospects. We're talking about prospects, uh, prospects in the NHL, prospects in the AHL, in the NCAA, overseas, the CHL. A um, couple of of prospects uh, for the Canadians, and playing with the Rocket, Alexander Olin and and uh, Raphael Harvey-Penard um, had a, a media availability this week, and uh, we'll be going through that uh, as well as many other things uh, with Amy Johnson on the upcoming episode of The Press Zone.
1: And yeah, you won't want to miss that. So be sure to search out The Press Zone. If you're not subscribed already, hit the subscribe button and you won't have to worry about that. You won't miss an episode uh, going forward. So Rick, we'll take our first break here on the Canadians Connection podcast. When we come back, we're going to be tackling the biggest issues most pressing questions that are facing the montreal canadians entering the 2020 2021 season stay with us here on the canadians connection podcast on rocket sports radio
0: rocket sports media is currently recruiting talented motivated and committed people to join our team if you're a student wishing to gain experience A young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today.
1: Welcome back to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. I'm Joe Whalen. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Whalen 19, and with me in studio is our president and founder of Rocket Sports, Rick Stevens. You can follow him at All Habs on Twitter, and you can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit our website at CanadiansConnection.com. Uh, so, Rick, as we said, we're going to be diving in and tackling some of the most pressing questions that are facing the Montreal Canadiens for this upcoming season. Uh, but before we do that, I think it's always best to take a look back and, and look at where we were about a year ago, uh, and a year ago and some change now, <laughs> uh, back on September 14th, 2019, episode 49 of the Canadians Connection podcast. Uh, we had a dozen questions that uh, were the most pressing questions about the Montreal Canadiens at the time entering the season. And of course we should preface all of this by saying that this was taking place during training camp. Mm-hmm. We have a very uh, sort of, we don't really know a lot of this sort of uh, the way that the NHL season is going to look. We're going to be tackling that a little bit later on, of course, when we get to uh, these questions. But Rick last year we had a dozen questions and, they all sort of have a, have a theme um, amongst them. And the big theme last year, I think was, was the youth movement. Mm -hmm. That was the big question last year. There were other ones. And and we started off last year with, do the Canadians have the best prospect pool in the NHL? That sort of set the table for everything else. But Rick, uh, this year it's a little bit different, but we're going to go run down these questions that we had last year.
2: Yeah. Just to um, just, to, to to set the scene to to and it might uh, surprise some of them might surprise you they might uh, yeah. <laughs> we were going in with the information from uh, from the off season as well as as you said uh, training camp had just started so things were kind of uh, just sorting themselves out and it I'm for me I was um, when looking back on this we were quite. Uh, Prophetic as far as, as predicting what were going to be the issues during, during the year um, because uh, we came back to this list a couple times during the year uh, yeah. and, and all the questions were, were rather relevant, I thought.
1: Yeah, and just to give a rundown of what some of these questions were, um, I think you look at, we talked about last year, did Mark Bergevin fill the holes adequately to assemble a playoff team was no. a pressing question. He didn't, and we saw that at the time. Can the youth handle the pressure that's being placed on them, and is Claude Julien the right coach to guide them? That's one that we can sort of might get to a little bit later on in this segment with respect to this season because one of the ones that we were talking about last year was, well, are we going to see an expanded role for Jesperi Kotkaniemi? We really didn't. There wasn't that expansion of role until you get to the bubble in Toronto and he comes back, but he was sent down to Laval, and he had of course some injury concerns there was that almost that tombstone pile driver that he took from Nikita Zadorov in December of last year there was a lot of those things that happened and and you know this is the this is the question is and we're going to get to it regarding this upcoming season is Claude Julien the right coach for a team that's going to have more and more young talent when he has been a guy that has Liked vet, veterans. He likes veteran uh, veteran players that he views as being more dependable. So, Rick, a lot of these things here. And we had other questions. What will top pairing left DB committee look like? It ended up being a lot of Ben Sherat. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Ben Chirot. Uh Can the Canadians rely on Keith Kincaid? No, no, they couldn't. <laughs> they could not. For 20 to 25. Remember, that was the number that he threw out himself. Yeah, yeah. That did not come to pass. Uh, can the Canadians, uh, Habs, can their special teams both be top 15 in the league? No. no. They, they were. S- they struggled.
2: 22, 22nd on the power play and 19th, I believe, on the penalty kills. So, and, yeah. and, and we that cutoff was kind of um, so that we, we could, there would be some improvement, but that's kind of seen as you kind of have to have that as a minimum if you're going to yeah. be a, a, on special teams, if you're going to be... A, a, uh, playoff team.
1: Well, and I think the, the one thing from last year, there was a big question for me from last year about two guys in particular. You had Jonathan Drouin and you had Max Domi because those two guys, of course, remember back to two seasons ago. Or wait, what was this? No, the season before, 18-19. They like to be running mates, play mm-hmm. offense, have fun, do all that but they were a liability defensively when they played together. So we were wondering if Jonathan Drouin was ever going to fill, fulfill his potential and if last year was his last chance. He got off to a good start. Things went off the rails. He got injured. Never really got back to that form. However, you go to the bubble in Toronto and you're clinging to the hope that perhaps he can be a, a, a guy that can be a running mate with Nick Suzuki who's a bit more responsible in his own zone than Max Domi because the question last year was, is Max Domi going to migrate to the wing. And we didn't, he was centering the fourth line at the beginning of, of the playoffs because he loved playing with Dale Weiss uh, and Jordan. <laughs> That's what I heard
2: I heard that somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. He, he loved playing with Dale Weiss. So yeah. he was centering the fourth line, did not migrate to the wing. If, if only uh, for a scatter for a few shifts here and there, uh, he was playing center for the majority of last season. So, that did not really come to pass. Uh, will there be a regression from last season for the team and for key players, especially those who had career years? Yeah.
2: Yeah, there was. Th- that
1: did exist. And I mean, you talk about the one thing I think last year that was really interesting and it was a theme and it was something that I was keeping track of. Where's go- where the goals going to come from? And we talk about Andrew Shaw a couple of weeks back as being one of the, the, the worst trades of Mark Bergevan's tenure, but he still had a career year in his mm-hmm. final year in Montreal. Where are those goals going to come from? How are they going to replace that? And they struggled to do that. And a lot of that came down to Max Domi going from being a 72-point guy and a 28-goal scorer to a mid-50s point guy. He probably would have finished about there if the season had went to 82 games. So that is the thing I think um that that we saw and of course and, the injuries as well.
2: And I think that yeah the injuries um and 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 let's be clear that that the Canadians um were eighth fewest in the yeah. uh 18-19 season and midway 15th um last year. Uh so injuries really compared to uh, like the Pittsburgh Penguins so its injuries were not an issue. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, you know, some of these questions like the injury one is going to reappear again, but when, when you mentioned, um, uh, Joanne, you know, uh, they always say have a good first and last impression. Well, that's exactly what he did, uh, played really well in his last game in, in the playoffs, uh, had a good start to the season in between was not a lot of anything, yeah. uh, injuries and, uh, a lot of being a passenger. Um, but uh, we had asked last year: was 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 it his last chance? No, I, we'll ask it again. I guess <laughs> is yeah. it going to be his last chance? The the Max Domi one, uh, like you, I I was very uh, interested to see um, to see that question, and, and we asked, you know, is he going to be accepting of his new role? And this year we have a very similar kind of question. I see a different player again in yeah. in that position and and we're going to come to that when we look at our list for this year.
1: And just for the sake of wrapping everything up, the bonus question last year was will Victor Mete score a goal? He did. He, he did score a goal <laughs> and he scored two in the same game. So, yeah, Victor Mete, uh, yeah. That was that was a fun game that was. So, uh Rick, with that said, we've run down the questions that we had last year. Now we'll get to the ones that we have uh, entering this season. And there are some that carry over, um, and we're going to be getting to that. But Rick, before we go anywhere on this, the one question that not only are the Montreal Canadiens facing, but the entire NHL, every team in the NHL is facing, is when will the season start? Will there be a reduced, compressed schedule? Uh, What is all of this going to look like? And that, I think, is where we have to start. Of course, there's also been talk of a Canadian division, because you you know the board traveling through the border might not be feasible. Will it be a, a Canadian division the Montreal Canadiens are competing in, or will it be the Atlantic division that they've competed in uh, for the past number of years? What is all of this gonna look like for the Montreal Canadiens?
2: So this this is the biggest question. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, it is. It, how many games? What kind of schedule is the schedule's going to be compressed? Are rosters going to be expanded? Um, all of those things will be answered by the time we get to uh, training camp, but right now uh, it has to—we have to be include—we have to include it here because this is this is the most critical question, and the the question of of divisions is being discussed right now. Um, and will it be well any of these things, uh, as far as a compressed schedule or expanded rosters, are they going to help or hurt the Canadians? I think the biggest one is this divisional. Uh, if if they realign the divisions for um, a season, um, it's going to have the biggest impact. And it if going to uh, a Canadian division, I can only see it helping uh, the Canadians because yeah. it gets them away from those uh, two teams that seem to have uh, uh, you know a, 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 an automatic pass to the playoffs in Tampa and, and Boston. Yeah. Um, so instead, um, you know, uh, is Toronto, uh, a bit advanced? Probably. Uh, I think they're probably the best team in Canada, but, um, Edmonton, Montreal, uh, Calgary, take your pick. I think they're, they're think kind Hoover. of all, all in the, yeah, I think they're all in the kind of yeah. the same range. Uh, Winnipeg, I think is going to have a tough year. Um, yeah. uh, and, and Ottawa still, still rebuilding. Um, so this might be uh, the, the divisional, the Canadian division um, might be a, uh, a help to the Canadians, but that's, that's going to be one of our questions uh, for the year. Are these, these, these pandemic conditions, these, these conditions where the, the NHL has to operate going to help or hurt the Canadians? And that's, that's our, our number one question and, and will be the top question through the year.
1: The one thing that, because at this point, as as we know, everything is sort of up in the air. There's a lot of things being thrown out there. We don't know anything for certain. The one thing that I will say is that we've learned in a pandemic world with respect to these sports leagues, the major sports leagues uh, in North America, especially the, the NBA, they're, they, they announced they'd be starting a shortened season of 72 games December 22nd. That's just about a month and change from now uh, in you know, we've seen the sort of follow the leader approach from these sports leagues. So it'll be interesting to see what exactly that means for the NHL. We've talked about the desire for the NHL to get in, um, as much of a season as they can, but there is obviously obligations from the the rights holders in the U S NBC to get this, to get this thing done, um, before the Olympics, because that's going to be a, a bit of a, of a conflict in terms of scheduling. So it's going to be interesting to see, um, You'd expect that it would be a compressed, reduced season of some kind. We don't know exactly to what extent, so uh, that'll be one thing to watch going forward. And of course, with respect to the Atlantic or Canadian division, yeah, I agree. It would be more advantageous for the Montreal Canadiens to be in a created Canadian division rather than playing and competing with the likes of the Bruins and the Lightning uh, because they are just too too advanced. <laughs> There's just They have too much talent uh, for them to overcome. But Rick, moving to a question that I think uh, is becoming one of the more interesting ones, um, especially given this offseason, because last year, as we talked about, we were wondering if Marc Bergevin did an adequate enough job of filling the holes that existed on the roster for the Montreal Canadiens. This year he did go out and spend some money that he's been sitting on and the Montreal Canadians have been sitting on for some time now. So are the Canadians now a cup contender? Has Mark Bergevin filled the major holes in the lineup and what are realistic expectations for this season for the Montreal Canadians?
2: Now, if you go on Twitter, the Canadians um, are penned in for the cup. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're pretty, pretty well have won it. And and, uh, and listen, yeah, I've said a million times Twitter's in real life, but um, Mark Bergeron did a very good job in the offseason filling the holes, the holes that were, have been there for a couple of seasons. Uh, he, he, he uh, got around to and, um, and, and made, you know, he had that, that checklist. He's, he talks about uh, the, the, um, the four position checklist and the backup goaltending. Um, uh, addition on defense, a bigger forward, and a and a sniper, and and he checked off all those boxes. Uh, so has he he filled the holes that were there. Yes, uh, but let's be realistic here. Um, and are the Canadians Cup contenders? Are they are they a top ten team in in the NHL? Uh, not not yet, because there's there's a lot of ifs that we have yeah. here. The the ifs are that. Um, you have a nice mix of both veterans and, and young players, but are those young players ready to take on a, a full productive role? We don't know that yet. We're, we, we saw evidence of that in, in the, the playoffs, but uh, we, don't, we don't know that yet. Um, you know, are the, are the, uh, is there enough depth? Um, and you look at a team, you, for, for comparison, you look at the team that won the Stanley Cup, they won the Stanley Cup without Steven Stamkos. Yep. The Canadians don't have a player like Steven Stamkos, and and Tampa had enough depth that they won it without him. Uh, and you look at their depth on on defense. Um, you know, uh, are, are 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 the Canadians there yet? N- no, I don't think so. Um, but it's 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 an open question about where they are on on that that uh, that spectrum. Uh, better than than the team that that, uh, was point a game uh, last year, uh, 24th in the NHL, better than that? Yes. Um, And, uh, you know, are are they that, can be that that team uh, that we saw in the playoffs of glimpses? Yes, they probably can. But where they are, we just don't know. And it'll be an open issue, an open question as we uh, go into this year.
1: So the one thing I'll say is I think you have that guy between the pipes. And we know that that has been all that Montreal Canadiens fans have been having to cling their hopes to, but you have Carey price and we saw how good Carey price can be that he can steal a series. He stole a series against the Pittsburgh penguins who, while they might be declining, they just won not too long ago, uh, two Stanley cups back to back years. So you have that guy, you have Shea Weber, who, you know, is that leader, that guy in the locker room, that everyone falls in line, everyone stands up and listens to when he has something to say. You don't have that guy up front. You don't. They're just, and listen, you add Josh Anderson and you add Tyler Toffoli, much more balance on the Canadians' forward lines. It it looks much better than it did last year, and Mark Bergevan's he deserves credit for that. Um, They're not a cup contender. They are a great deal closer uh, to being one, but they are not a cup contender uh, for this season. And listen, I think that when you look at the teams that are going to be cup contenders, you mentioned Tampa Bay just won the Stanley Cup. They didn't have Steven Stamkos. They still had Nikita Kucherov. They still had Brayden Point. They still had all of these guys, had one of uh, probably the best one of, if not the best defensive cores in the league, and Andre Vasilevsky. (laughs) They had an abundance of talent. And listen, I think that there is a balance between being too top-heavy, and I think the epitome of that is the Toronto Maple Leafs. They are too top-heavy. They need more balance throughout their lineup. The Montreal Canadiens have gone with this idea of doing everything by committee in terms of scoring goals, and they definitely helped their chances by adding Josh Anderson and Tyler Foley. but there are things that Nikita Kucherov, that David Pasternak, that all of these other guys that you deal with in the Atlantic division, they can make up the production just on the, by themselves that the Montreal Canadiens are hoping to get out of some of these guys that they've added. That's just the reality of the situation. So for them, yes, they're closer, but they are not in that ballpark yet. But I think that they are a team that can compete for a playoff spot. But a lot of that is going to hinge on this next question. Is it too much of a leap for the Canadians to rely on Nick Suzuki and Yasperi Kutkaniemi as their two top centermen this season. And quite frankly, uh, I think that it might be. You know, we talk about not wanting to have too lofty of expectations for these guys and give them the time that they need to develop because, yes, those 10 games that we saw in the bubble were fantastic. Desperate Kalkiniemi looked great. Nick Suzuki looked great. But in a full season, they'd need to do that about seven more times. They, need to have ten, they needed to have a sets of 10 games seven more times that looked that way if the Montreal Canadiens are going to go anywhere. And that is perhaps a little bit too lofty at this point in time. They're great, and I think that they're going to have great seasons. I think that they should probably be the two top centermen entering this season. But the concern that I have is as time goes on and you don't get that production that you saw in the playoffs – are the Canadians going to have the necessary patience to say we just need to wait this out and understand that like every other player, like a veteran player even, there's going to be highs and lows that you're going to have to deal with. And that I think uh, is, is this, this question here I think is going to be uh, a big indicator of question number two. If Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki are guys the Canadians can rely on, then perhaps they are a bit closer. To being a cup contender but uh, it seems a little bit too early to put all of that on them <laughs> I,
2: I you know i don't know um who knows um can they can they catch fire uh, i guess is what we're asking for that's yeah. what that's what happens is with a prospect that all of a sudden they'll catch fire um can they catch fire can they sustain it can they do it at the same time uh, which yeah. which the canadians need. To do and and you know carrying on that analogy, you think of of survivor and, and the, the survivor challenge of building fire and and you see um, you know they have to build the fire and, and burn through the cord. and uh, sometimes you know the, the fire burns hot for a little while and then subsides and one side will burn and the other side will. Burn. but what we're asking is these guys both have to burn hot. They have to burn long, they have to be consistent. Um, yeah. And that's going to be tough to do. Uh, it's gonna it it's gonna happen. Yeah, I don't know if it happens at the same time. If if there's some starts and stops, uh, if it's this season, if it's next season, it's gonna happen where these two uh, take their rightful positions as the top two centers of the Montreal Canadiens. But. Again, these are you know we're we're not meant to to provide definitive answers to these yeah. these are these are open questions uh, as we we enter uh, the 2020-21 season and this is probably one of the bigger ones.
1: Yeah, it certainly is. I think that when you look at what we saw from the playoff bubble and a lot of people got really excited from what we saw in the playoff uh, bubble and justifiably so. Uh, but yeah, it is uh, quite a different thing to have to go, you know, a, a 10 games is one thing. Doing it over the course of a season, if it even if it is condensed, even if it is compressed, that is a whole other thing. And for these two young guys, um, yeah, it, to put all of that on them, to, to hope that they be the two top centermen and they produce at the level that they did in the playoffs, uh, that is something that we're just going to have to wait and see. And if it happens, then the Montreal Canadiens uh, might have a, uh, a really nice year. But uh, as you said, these are open questions. We don't know the answer to them. We're just going to have to wait and see. But the one thing that I think will tell a lot about how this goes for the Montreal Canadiens uh, is Claude Julien. And last year we asked the question, is he the right guy to coach this youth movement coming in? And the question continues because the young talent keeps coming in and you have to wonder – is he going to accept the youth movement? And apart from Yasperi Kutkaniemi and, and Nick Suzuki and Alexander Romanoff, who we all expect to be fixtures of the Montreal Canadiens, which other young players are going to make a significant impact for the Montreal Canadiens? And uh, Rick, I mean, for me, and I was discussing this with you, I am even concerned to some extent about Nick Suzuki and Yisperi Kutkaniemi, and I understand that that sounds ludicrous, but after last year and all the things that Yasperi Kaniemi went through last year, it's like, listen, we'll remember the playoff bubble and that was great. But there was there was it was a bumpy ride to get to that point. There was a lot that happened to Yasperi Kaniemi, be it the the groin injury at the beginning of the year, the core injury, uh, and, and all of that. Then you had, as I said, the Nikita Zadorov hit, <laughs> gave him a concussion, and then you know he sort of starts to find it again, and he's sent down to Laval and he puts on a, a, a pretty good point-per-game pace with the Laval Rocket, has a spleen injury. And, you know, the one thing that I was worried about and that I will worry about is if things don't go the way that they did in the playoff bubble, are guys even like Nick Suzuki and Yasperi Kotkaniemi in jeopardy of maybe not being sent down or, or anything like that, but having their roles taken away, diminished roles, because that would be a concern for me, because you, are, you want to, to grow these guys. You just saw what they can do, and they have almost no experience. These are very young guys. You saw what they could do in the playoffs. You have to expect there's going to be highs and lows, as I said. And Claude Julian being willing to accept that, Mark Bergevin even to some extent accepting that, that is something that I still have some concern about. But Rick, but what do you think about all of this? Yspiri Kutkinyemi, Suzuki, Romanov, and, and all the young guys that potentially could have an impact.
2: Well, again, it's 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 an open question. It's our question yeah. number four, or an issue number four for the season. Um, even the proponents of Claude Julian will admit. You know, his strength isn't with young players and he has made progress. He There's no yep. question he's made yep. progress, but is that a, is it at a glacial pace? Is it at a pace that's because all of a sudden we're going to get flooded, uh, with, with, uh, that's, that's one thing that happens when you stock the prospect cupboard. Uh, you have to, you have to, uh, uh, manage that transition to the NHL and the Canadians have not been very good at managing uh, their prospect transition in the past. Um, he, he speaks very positively about Nick Suzuki almost all the time. Yeah. Um, he has been very impressed with Alexander Romanov uh, this, this off season. He's talked positive, positively about Jake Evans um, and I think he's coming around on, on the Kotkanyemi front. Um, but what about others? Uh, will Ryan Paling get a chance? Didn't get a chance in the return to play. Uh, Noah Juleson, um, are those two going to get back on track so that Juleson, his, his uh, two years of, of uh, two seasons of struggling with injuries, is, is he going to be a factor uh, for the Canadians on that right side pairing? Um, you know we forget about Cale flurry. Uh, Cale flurry yeah. was one of our questions um, last year uh, about a prospect pool and, and he he um, had a pretty good start and then um, and then uh, uh, lost favor in the eyes of, of Claude Julian. Um, Josh Brook, who we talked about a little earlier Yes um, he uh who we've talked about on on previous shows who who's going to be there? to surprise us. Who's going to be there to stand out as as another uh prospect in a call up uh winning a position at, at uh training camp and who is is going to uh, break through that that Claude Julian uh young player wall that uh that he seems to set up. I think the only thing that that concerned me a little um you know Claude Julian does not have and we've heard this from uh, players who speak favorably and those who don't about Claude Julian we've heard it from players with the organization and players who have left the organization his communication is not very good and that's even it's exacerbated with respect to younger players uh, I would have liked to hear Claude Julian say um, yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna work on my communication I'm gonna work on yeah. being better at that and it was more like, what communication problem? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I don't have a communication problem. <laughs> no, he didn't say yep. that. He didn't say yep. that. But, but you know what I'm talking about. He didn't acknowledge yeah. that there was there was a problem <laughs> at all there.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's a tough thing with Claude Julian because I think that there are, there are times where you see that he has been willing to adjust, and we saw that year to year from the 2017-18 season to the 2018-19 season, where the Canadians, they employed a a different system. They employed a different system than we had seen, a more up pace, a more up-tempo system uh, than than we had seen in years past. So he's changed in some respects, but yeah, the words, and you you know, sort of loosely quoting, but the words that he said a couple of weeks ago don't inspire a lot of confidence that he's the self-aware type that will understand that perhaps he has been in some respects a problem for these young players breaking through and when you talk about the young players who could break through I think the fourth line center spot is going to be the one that is really interesting because I think um, there there are guys that and you mentioned yes he alone and I, I'm really excited for him I don't know if it's this year or next year whatever whatever it might be uh, but the fourth-line center role in particular, I think, is an opportunity. And the fourth-line center, as we know, is a spot where Claude Julian would seemingly rather have a more veteran type of guy, a more face-offs, you know, a penalty killer guy. He'd like to have someone pretty dependable there. But right now it's looking like it could be between Jake Evans and Ryan Paling for that fourth-line center spot.
2: And and many of the, the fans are saying, uh, oh, that's Jake Evans' spot. Yeah. And Jake Evans played... Uh, very well however and I don't say this to disparage Jake Evans uh, but Jake Evans had a really tough start to last season he he had a really tough uh, beginning in Laval and he went uh, uh, I don't know how many games it ended up being uh, without scoring a goal to the extent uh, and he he got uh, he was uh, on the fourth line in Laval to the extent that uh, Joe Bouchard uh, he, he's mired in this goalless streak, sent him out with uh, with a, a, an empty net available uh, at the end of the game so that he could get his, his first goal came on the in uh, an empty net um, and then kind of the floodgates open and, and he um, he started piling up the points from there. but he had a, he had a pretty slow start to the season. If that happens, uh, does he, uh, you know, get sent to Laval, and, and does that open a, a spot for someone else, or as you said, does uh, that force uh, Mark Bergevan to, and uh, from pressure from Claude Julien to get a, a you know, a, a, a center? Well, there's always Jordan Wheel. Uh, get somebody <laughs> who can can take faceoffs, a Nate yeah. Thompson type, Nate Thompson, um, yeah. th- to fill in there. Those those are again we're here to to provide the open questions the open issues that seems to be one for next year.
1: Yeah. And the question I guess staying with Claude Julien too is this is also something that he touched on in his press conference a couple of weeks back the system and his and whether or not there's going to be changes. I mean without changes can Claude Julien's system be successful? Can the Canadians be successful playing a four-line game? Without an elite forward, or as I was referring to, that guy up front. And that's, I think, going to be something that you're going to have to watch this year. I think they're better equipped to do that, given the additions that they've made. But it's still going to be an open question for this season.
2: He was, he was asked about his system. Are you going to change your system? Are you going to tweak your system? Si- no, all right, my system's perfect. Uh, we just had bad players last year. Again, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. Uh, essentially. <laughs> but he said, no, listen, we were a good possession team. We generated a ton of shots. I would quibble with him about the quality of the shots. Um, yeah. But he said we just weren't able to finish. Um and that, uh, and hopefully, we'll be able to do that with the additions in personnel we made. So I'm not changing my my system at all. Uh, I want a pattern. He, we heard him say that uh, he admires the the Islanders system. Uh, he wants to to pattern the Canadians game. After that, he wants to roll four lines, uh, and without naming or, or, or numbering uh, any of the lines. Um, so I, there's it's an open question. Um, does the system need any any tweaks, or is it just a matter of bringing in these, making these couple of personnel changes, that will now allow Julian's system uh, to uh, run all, on all cylinders, and they'll be able to score um, with reckless abandon? You know, we don't know that. Yeah. We don't. No. We know the answer to that. So that's one of the issues. Our issue number five going into the season. And, yeah,
1: it's, it's going to be something to watch, that's for sure. But, yeah, the, the comments that he made a couple of weeks back don't inspire a lot of confidence that we're going to see those sort of tactical changes. And you would hope to see that because it's great that you go out and you spend money, you go out you make additions like Tyler Toffoli and Josh Anderson, but you'd hope there'd be a little bit of, of introspection on the part of Claude Julien with respect to what his team is doing because, you know, good enough is, is good. But at certain points, you good enough isn't just going to cut it. You need to actually make some tangible changes um, to to move forward, and that's something that, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing to see if they can produce at a high level without that top elite forward. Um, so that'll be yeah, as you said, question number five, issue number five for this season. Uh, moving to number six, and is it's one that ties in with the question that we had earlier about Yasperi Kutkiniemi and Nick Suzuki, and you. You know, we talked about Max Domi last year. You referenced that there would be another guy that would be asking about a a role change, and that's Philip Deneau. Is Philip Ro- uh, is Philip role going to change? Is he going to accept his role and become a team player because after the Montreal Canadiens were eliminated, he didn't sound like too much of a team player. <laughs> we we got to be frank about that. He did not sound like a guy that was happy that his team performed well in the playoffs he was more concerned with me over we at that point in time. If he is able to accept a role as a third-line centerman, which I think he is incredibly equipped to do, I think that as a first-line center we saw in spurts that Philip Deneau can be a very effective player in spurts, but that came and went. It ran hot and cold. And a third-line role, I think you would see Philip Deneau shine Um, But that's going to be the open question here. We don't know the answers yet. We don't know if he's even going to be in a different role. As I said a couple weeks back, does familiarity, is that going to be a benefit? Is going back to Tomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, and Brendan Gallagher, is that going to benefit the Montreal Canadiens over going with either one of Suzuki or Kotkaniemi in that spot? We don't really know the answer to that yet. But is Philip Deneau going to be able to accept a role change because it seems imminent regardless if it's this year or if he sticks around longer than that the future so he's going to have to come up with a decision at some point in time relatively soon
2: I think yeah and that's just it it's it's going to happen either sooner or later um, you know to to what will help him is um, you mentioned the word comfort it'll be not only his comfort but Chloe Julian's comfort uh, uh if he has some difficulty with the uh, the youth movement and and trusting uh Suzuki and Kokenmi in the top two slots, uh he's likely to go back to to uh, that trio that uh, that he has comfort with and and who have performed well but but let's not uh, overstate things. uh those those three players generated a, a lot of opportunities, but Philip Deneau, forty-seven points last year. That's not and uh, a fair bit of of power play time. Uh, That's not a first line center. Philip Deneau is not, with all due respect, a first line center. Um, His his although he had a better offensive season last year, uh, his defensive responsibilities suffered, and and we know that, Um, particularly on the penalty kill. It's Philip Deneau's penalty kill, and as we said. Uh, 19th in, in the NHL. Um, he had t- tough time on, on the, the face-offs, pretty good in the face-offs, five-on-five, uh, five, but really struggled in the face-offs uh, when it counted, and that's on the penalty kill. Uh, so if we can, if we can um, get him to focus and, and l- help him to be a little bit more self-aware. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, he was thrust into that, that number one center position kind of got accustomed to it kind of feels that that uh, uh, a status along with it and all of this is reminding us of Max Domi uh, who really thought there was more value for himself uh, being at the center position than than moving to the wing to help help the team and that's why there's such a parallel between Philip Deneau this year and Max Domi uh, last year and uh, for Phil Deneau, he's got to wake up and realize uh, he should realize that um, you know Mark uh, uh, Mark Bergevin was not in a rush to sign him as he did with uh, Petrie and, and Gallagher. Um, yeah. After the Gallagher signing, Mark Bergevin went on quote unquote vacation. So which you know peeved uh, the denot camp. Uh, but but here we are and and. Uh, it doesn't mean that that he's not a valuable part of the team if he's playing a third line, especially in a Claude Julian system where where you know the lines are interchangeable. Where he's going to be getting his minutes, um, he's going to be getting you know a fair bit of, of PK time. Um, I, I I I I hope, I really hope uh, that he doesn't make an issue of it. Uh, but I think. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. I don't think that Mark Bergevin knows what's going to happen, and and yeah. it's why he's he's uh, set this situation where Phil Deneau has to prove to him that uh, he's going to be accepting, he's going to be a team player, uh, and Mark Bergevin is unlikely to uh, re-sign him uh, until that happens. The other thing I think that um, that that Phil Deneau has to, to really comes to grips with is, is his salary expectations. Um, you know, we, we've, we've heard whispers of, of, of how he thinks he, both he and his agent, how they, they value the, uh, the, uh, him and, and they're, they're way, way out of, out of uh, line in terms with uh, an objective kind of view. Um, and we saw an article this week in the journal de Montréal from uh Yvonne Pedno, um, who was drawing comparisons between Deneau and uh Ryan Strom. Um, now Ryan Strom had 59 points, uh, he's a much more offensive but but a a good two way player. Um, and the Rangers have offered 4.6 million. Now, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, I had said, yeah, four and a half. To four point seven five, um, that's my range. Um, and uh, you know it it doesn't appear that that that's that is where uh, the denot camp is right now. They were talking Kevin Hayes numbers. They threw out Kevin Hayes as a comparison, which seems ludicrous. Yeah. Um, so where this is going to end up in terms of his role, in terms of his resigning, I think a lot of that depends on Phil Deneau. We don't know how he's going to react. That's why it's our, our number six issue uh, going into this season.
1: And with all due respect to Kevin Hayes, Kevin Hayes' money seemed ludicrous even for, for Kevin, Kevin Hayes. Hayes yeah. <laughs> with no disrespect intended, but that's the, that's the, that was what the market was at that point in time. The market is not what it was. You know that At a certain point, you go back a couple of years, you go back to last year, Anybody that can do anything in the NHL is getting six to seven million. That's just, that's just how it is. But yeah, it's a very different landscape right now. And Philip Deneau is going to have to be accepting of that. But Rick, I think one of the bigger questions that's going to be facing the Montreal Canadiens this year is you saw the addition of Joel Edmonds into the blue line. They are going with a more punishing, big, strong, tough to play against defensive core. The trend has been, Uh, Quick, mobile puck moving defense. So they're not going with the trend. They're going against the trend with a team that uh, with a blue line that will be hard to play against. And do you think that this strategy is, is going to be effective? I'm intrigued by it. And of course, we don't know until we see that is contingent on all of these. We don't know until we see. But I'm intrigued by this.
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting question because uh, when we looked at the open spots on the roster, we thought we expected that that the Mark Bergevin would be looking for a uh, offensive uh, puck moving defenseman to line up on the left side beside Shea Weber. That's what we expected he was looking for, and we throw at all kinds of names um, yeah. that that might be suitable that way. Um, instead, uh, the addition that he made in Edmondson, um, it is more of a Ben Sherat kind of guy, yeah. um, and and you can see and and they've spoken quite openly both Julien and, and Bergevin that uh, no they they weren't they weren't even looking for a, a puck moving defenseman to 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 go beside Weber they see uh, it advantageous to have guys who are really tough to play. A, uh, against that will punish the forwards that will change the way forwards will play when they come into the zone uh because they have to constantly go up against these big strong uh punishing kind of guys um it's it's a different strategy than other teams are using. can it be affected we We just don't know um but we'll 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 soon find out
1: I'm intrigued by this because it will be interesting to see if they can effectively wear teams down over the course of games. And I think that when you look at the three-headed monster, so to speak, that will be Shea Weber, Ben Chirot, and Joel Edmondson in that respect, is that they are all guys that are more defensive defensemen, that like to throw the body, that like to play that physical punishing style. Um, that is going to be very interesting for me. The one Steve, the one thing that is is concerning is this puts a lot of pressure on Jeff Petrie in terms of moving the puck. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is going to shoulder a load this season that it's not unfamiliar with Jeff Petrie. Jeff Petrie's had to do this because the one thing that we know about Shea Weber is for all of of uh, his—he's an elite defenseman. There is no question about that. He is not a puck mover in the sense that, you know, he's not somebody— that, uh, that skates the puck up the ice, that rushes it up the ice. He is very up the boards, hard around the boards, get it out and, and worry about, you know, uh, let the forwards take care of the offense, all those sorts of things. And that's fine. That's what you want a guy to play within, you know, what he is. That's, that's what you would like to see. And with Ben Chirot and Joel Edmondson, you're probably going to get much of the same. So that means Jeff Petrie is going to be the guy that's rushing the puck. That means that maybe Alexander Romanoff and Victor Mete as well will take on that role. And that's not something that's new for Victor Mete either. He's been doing that. Um, But this is going to be an interesting mix. And uh, that's why I think that we have it here as our number seven issue is this is a different grouping than is typical of, of an NHL defensive core right now. Um, so that will be something to watch as the season unfolds. Uh, so, Rick, moving on. Uh, last year, Victor, uh, excuse me, uh, Keith Kincaid uh, made a point to say that he was coming in to play 20 or 25 games to give Carey Price the rest that he needs. The Montreal Canadiens made a point this year because, of course, things did not work out with Keith Kincaid. To go get a backup goaltender that they felt could give 25 or so quality starts for the Montreal Canadiens. Obviously, as we touched on in the first issue, we don't know what this season is going to look like. So if the Montreal Canadiens are going to rely on Jake Allen, we don't know exactly what the number is going to be, but they are looking for Jake Allen to provide Carey Price the necessary rest, especially if it's going to be a compressed season where there might be more back-to-backs, might be more physically demanding schedules. So that will be a, a huge question for the Montreal Canadiens.
2: So, uh, you know, in answer, um, you know, can they rely on him um i mean it, it better happen uh that's yeah. that's all i can say <laughs> you're paying 4.4 million dollars for a backup goaltender this better work out uh because this is uh, uh this is you know all cards in uh kind of uh strategy um and uh, they've this has been a, a problem for uh, how many years with Kincaid last year for yeah. sure was a disaster in Miami before that montoya and Tokarski and just list Ooh, just, yeah, yeah just, just list the, the difficulty they've had you know and as you said Kincaid came in and and Kincaid made such uh, wild promises he promised well in various uh, press conferences that he did he promised 25 games he promised 30 games at one point uh, and and didn't get you know anywhere close to that It didn't even lift off the ground uh, this has got to work this really has to work and and you know um, all things point in that direction that he should be able to give uh Carry Price the 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 rest he needs but this is going to be an adjustment for Carry Price too. He's used yeah. to going out there and and uh playing hard every game in and, and working hard every practice and uh Stefan Wade is going to have a, a a job on his hands balancing um Carry Price's is, is, is passion and desire to play, with his need for for rest. There's going to have to be uh, a bit of give and take, and 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 maybe some flexibility, uh, you know, without scheduling the starts too far in advance. And and part of that, I, I think, part of that is if we go to this this lockout style schedule or this compressed schedule. Uh, there's going to be a more of a need for uh, Jake Allen, so maybe that will, will help Carey Price transition to this, this new reality of of having games off so, so that he can perform better and be ready for the playoffs.
1: And the numbers indicate that this should be a role Jake Allen has success with because he had success with it last year when he was backing up Jordan Binnington, and the numbers looked good. It's going to be a different sort of ball game because the Montreal Canadiens, as I said, they have improved. They haven't improved to the point of looking like a a defending Stanley Cup champion. That is not what the Montreal Canadiens are and we're Jake Allen's numbers inflated because he played behind that. That's something that we're going to find out as the season gets underway. Uh, But for the Montreal Canadiens, your bread and butter is playing Carey Price. So you want to have him in as often as you can. So that's going to be, as you said, the balancing act that you have to find because Kerry Price should want to be in the net um, and you should want to have Kerry Price in the net, but you can't run him into the ground like we have seen over the past couple of years. There needs to be a balance. Jake Allen should be able to provide that. And as we've talked about, you know, it's been coming. uh, They've increased year by year in terms of how much time, money, resources they've spent on this. It was Auntie Niemi first, and they were like, okay, we need to spend a little bit more on the backup goaltender. They go to $1.75 million. Now they're all in on the table, as you said, with over $4 million this season for a backup goaltender and two in the 2000000 million-plus in the years following that, the two years after that. They just signed the extension a couple weeks back. So this is, this is very interesting. Um, and we said, we don't know the answers. We'll have to wait and see for the answers. But this is one of the concerns for the Montreal Canadiens this season. So moving to number nine, it's a key question for the Montreal Canadiens. It always is. Can they have special teams? Power play and penalty kill both be top 15 in the league? It's a question we asked last year because it's important. It's a question we ask again this year.
2: Yeah, we'll carry it forward. Uh, they didn't meet the uh, the goal last year. Uh, hopefully they can do it this year. Are they going to do it? Um, you know, with the power play, yes, there's some uh, additional weapons uh, into Foley. Uh, as as perhaps a sniper in uh, Josh Anderson as the uh, the guy who will go to the to the net um, but for me on the power play um, Andre Markov has never been replaced as the the no. Canadians power play quarterback and still with all these changes and one of the reasons why uh, we are hoping to see a, an offensive puck moving defenseman is um, Added to the back end is it would have helped out on the power play too. So, uh, you know who's going to be the power play quarterback? It was Duran, um, you know, quarterbacking the power play on the half wall uh, on the the number one power play unit last year. It didn't work very well. Uh, could it be Toffoli on the on the the second unit? Um, who knows? But that 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 portion is is going to be key to watch. Will they develop? A, a power play quarterback, and do they now have um, more guys who can finish in front of the net? On the opposite side, uh, the, the penalty killing, again, as I said earlier, this comes down to Phil Deneau. They've got some very good uh, players who play the can play the, the penalty kill. Uh, Edmondson helps out uh, on the back end uh, on the penalty kill uh, but they need Phil Deneau to get back to uh, both being a, a good defensive player and winning those key face offs.
1: And I think that Philip Deneau might actually be key to the power play as well in that he should probably not see much power play time this year and that might be a long, that might go a long way in improving the Canadians power play. To be quite frank, you need to have Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki out on the ice for the power play. That mm-hmm. is part of easing them into this new role of being the top two centermen. Philip Deneau should not be on there. Uh, to be, to be frank, I, I just don't think that that benefits the Montreal Canadians have him quarterback the, the penalty kill by all means. And if he does a good, effective job of that, that's fine. But the power play, I think a lot of the questions can be answered by just playing Isperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki. I think that those are guys that generate more offense than Philip Deneau has ever generated uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. So you need to be able to, you need to hand the keys to the castle over to those two guys and see what they can do with this power play. Um, so, Rick, the one thing that we heard a lot about last year was injuries. And there seemed to have been the opinion that the Montreal Canadiens season was derailed by injuries, and let's be let's be candid about that. It was not derailed by injuries to the same extent that you saw the Pittsburgh Penguins or Columbus Blue Jackets derailed by injuries. Those teams led the league in man's games lost. They were way up there, at the very least. The Montreal Canadiens they were eighth in 2018-19, fifteenth uh, uh, in 2019-20. Uh, uh, so. The Montreal Canadiens, yes, they, they were without Jonathan Drouin for a stretch, without Brendan Gallagher for a stretch, Arminia, but that should not be enough to sink you to the level of the Montreal Canadiens sunk to with uh, two eight-game winless streaks and the like. So what is it going to look like this year? Of course, we don't know. But injuries are a factor in this, but they weren't really as much as of, of a factor as, as people made it out to be last year.
2: No, they weren't. Um, in terms of man games and in terms of dollar value or importance of players missing, the Canadians were, were right in the middle of the league just average uh 15th um it was uh, an average year for injuries significant injuries to duran and and paul byron with a few games of uh, the other players that you mentioned but uh you should be able to to lose uh byron or duran and and uh and absorb that. Uh, is there more depth to uh, absorb injuries yes uh, there is, but the op- opposite question is, you know, you never know when you're going to get a bad year in injuries. They've had two good years yeah. the past two years, um, and um, and and this is this is this is this is an open question. So yeah, uh, we had to include it. it. It's our number eleven question. We got one at number ten that uh, uh, will will fit in here before we leave, and and that has to do with the cap space. Uh, the it's been a something over the oh, how many years? Uh, Canadians fans complaining about Mark Bergervan leaving ten million dollars, leaving eight million dollars, leaving nine million dollars on the table, uh, and not spending to the cap. And uh, this year, he's he's uh, spent to the cap. He, um, you know, we're uh, the, the question now is what will he do to be cap compliant? Uh, he says he has multiple options uh, when looking at the roster. Jordan Wheel going to the AHL would solve it. Uh, Paul Byron, if you could do something with that contract, that's a big contract, uh, yeah. that would help out. Uh, but he has multiple ways of of uh, of addressing that. Uh, he'd like some some uh, a bit of flex in there. Uh, but then the question is asked: uh, What about your the efficiency of spending the cap? are your contracts, uh, efficient? And, uh, Dom Lewis this, this week in, in the athletic, uh, listed all of the contracts and, and rated them. Um, the Canadians turned out to be 13th in his ranking, uh, as far as, uh, the efficiency and way that the way they spend their money, the two that he, uh, pointed out that were, uh, in his mind, uh, terrible value for, for the Montreal Canadians. Um, in terms of uh, the amount spent for uh, what comes back, uh, we're two new acquisitions in Joel Edmondson and Josh Anderson, uh, and he said those are, they are both uh, overpayments, uh, too pricey for both of those players, and rated those uh, down in terms of efficiency. But, you know, they, they haven't played a game yet in the Can- in Canadians' uh, jerseys, so we'll, we'll see how that, that works out. But that's an open question. Uh, yeah. the cap is a is a big open question a big open issue going into this season and it's uh on our list of uh, almost a dozen pressing questions about the Montreal Canadiens for 2020 2021
1: yeah and rick it's it's going to be very interesting to see i mean you can ask the question and it was one of the ones that we that we also had um it that whether or not this is a free agency destination again, that might tie into the cap compliance, the cap space, and and I think that you sign Tyler Toffoli. That's that's a that's a step in the right direction there. So like, there's a lot of different things that we could have talked about here. That was one of them as well, and I think that that might uh, say a lot about how the Montreal Canadiens are might be uh, might be headed in the right direction there. But uh, Rick, a lot to talk about there. So we'll take our final break here on the Canadiens Connection podcast. And we'll wrap it up when we come back. Stay with us here on the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio.
0: The Canadians Connection is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com.
1: And welcome back to episode 109 of the Canadians Connection Podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. Uh, You can follow at All at Habs Connection, excuse me, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit our website at Canadians You can also follow at All Habs, that'd be Rick Stevens' uh, Twitter account, and you follow me at Joela 19, just to put a bow on that. But Rick, uh, for another week here on the Canadians Connection Podcast, we'll wrap it up. But before we go, I just want to mention, of course, You don't want to miss the next episode of the Press Zone, as you pointed out. You're going to be uh, doing a a, a they said what style segment where you're going to be looking at the Raphael Harvey-Pernard and Alexandra Alain uh, interview availability, whatever you'd like to call it. But there's also going back to last week, what we mentioned was the Ken Reed book giveaway, one to remember that you will be doing. There is still time to enter that.
2: We got a, uh from ECW Press, and we thank them for that. We got a couple of copies of Ken Reed's new book, uh, One to Remember. Those are stories from 39 members of the NHL's One Goal Club. It's a great read. I'm not, uh, not quite finished it yet, but they're all short stories, easy reads, fascinating um, uh, players, uh, things that you, you won't know anything about. Uh, great job by Ken Reed and we have a couple of copies to give away. We'll be doing, uh, there's still time to get that in. You'll hear more about it on the press zone, the press zone, uh, on the press zone podcast on Tuesday. And, uh, this week also coming up, uh, we should mention, uh, it is a remembrance day. Um, and Remembrance Day takes place on Wednesday this year. I have my poppy yeah. right here in the studio. Our studio, we welcome poppies, not like some yeah. other businesses that are <laughs> denying people wearing poppies. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, th- that's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but make sure you take time out of your day to wear a poppy or to yeah. uh, just keep in mind uh, those people that have gone before us and, and uh, who have sacrificed a lot uh, to give us the, yes. the freedoms that we enjoyed today so um yeah be be respectful uh, on uh, on remembrance day and and we're a poppy
1: and we get to sit here and discuss the most pressing issues for the montreal canadians because of the sacrifices that people made for us to do what we want to do what we what we like to do so um obviously yeah take the time to remember on wednesday and leading up to wednesday we a poppy um and think of, of of the sacrifices that were made so that we can live our lives the way that we want to. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's an incredibly emotional time of year for a lot of people, and it certainly, is. yeah, we we would like to we'd like to encourage people to wear a poppy and and to take the time to remember that. So, Rick, uh, we uh, will and say And yeah. you have the freedom.
2: You have the freedom to choose to listen to us or not. Yes. Um, and yeah. more of you have been making that choice. Our listenership. Uh, in the past few months, is up thirty percent. So that means wow. more people are listening. It means you're taking the time to, to listen uh, during your busy week. It means that you are subscribing. It means that you're telling your hockey friends and neighbors all about the Canadians Connection, um, and uh, and sharing uh, our podcast on social media. And we're very very grateful. Uh, that you're doing so. And, and glad to have you uh, join us. We're glad to have you respond to us. We're glad to have you um, uh, come up with questions. And I should say that that some of our questions and issues uh, this week uh, came directly uh, from from your interactions with us. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, uh, interact with us on social media. Send us an email at info at allhabs.net or our 24-hour Rocket Sports text line. That's five three rocket We're always happy to hear from you.
1: Absolutely. And, Rick, uh, we'll encourage everyone to search out on your favorite podcast platforms, uh, the Canadians Connection podcast and the Press Zone. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Then you don't have to worry about missing another episode. So, Rick, we'll be back next week for episode 110 of the Canadians Connection podcast, another landmark Episode for us. <laughs> so we'll be back next week discussing all the things Montreal Canadians. Thank you for tuning in to the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio.
0: Click subscribe so you never miss an episode of Canadians Connection. Visit allhabs.net for breaking news about the Montreal Canadians.